This is Larry Colmus, and you're listening to the Mike Sappho Podcast. Justify is still there. Justify from Gronkowski. He's just perfect. And now he's just immortal. Justify is the 13th Triple Crown winner. What's going on, Larry? Thanks for coming on. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for coming up and visiting me here in the, the booth at Belmont. you got a pretty cool office here, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, the, the view is good. You know, it has to be. I mean, you have to be able to see everything. So, it's... What, Do they expect you to see the horses and stuff up here? Yeah, that's why I've got these uh, cool binoculars and uh, a window about, uh, what, eight stories up here. And uh, great view. It's a lot higher, the booth here, than uh, Saratoga. Saratoga's booth's a little bit lower, but it's... Uh, it's in Saratoga, so it's fantastic. Yeah, you got the panoramic view here. I'm, I was blown away when I walked in here. Thank yeah. God, wait, lad, thank God it's air conditioned. And who cares? <laughs> you know what? If there is a little background noise, we're going to take it today. Yeah, we don't want to sweat to death because it, it's pretty rough out there right now. But uh, yeah, this this view, you're right. It's panoramic. You can see everything. And Saratoga is the complete opposite. You can't see anything there. <laughs> there's there's trees in the way. There's everything you can imagine. You know, all kinds of stanchions and everything. And I always kid people. I said that you know the the booth at Saratoga is one of the most difficult places to call races. But the one thing it has going for it is it's at Saratoga. It, it's good property. It's like Manhattan. You can have a small apartment in Manhattan, but you're in Manhattan. Exactly, so you, right. You put up with it, right. So now you do have an interesting job, and I always ask, you know, I have a lot of athletes and authors on. So, like, what got you in the profession? I loved football. I wanted to read. I wanted to write. How do you get into calling horse races? Because it's an interesting job. Yeah, there's not many of us, that's for sure. It's it's uh, a different type of, uh, of a job. But for me, what happened was my father actually installed the sound system at the Maryland State Fair in Timonia, Maryland. And he used to bring me there as a kid. And I was expected, I guess, to maybe follow in his footsteps in his business, but I think he found out pretty quickly that I was mechanically incompetent, (laughs) and that wasn't going to happen. But I fell in love with horse racing. And not only just the horses and the, the jockeys, but just the people, the atmosphere. And I just thought, you know, I kind of fit here. This is what I want to do. I don't know what, but I, I want to work in horse racing. And then I started listening to all these guys around the country and their different styles of race calling. And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. This could be something that I want to do, call races. And so a couple of the guys there you know, kind of helped me out and said, uh, why don't you uh, start practicing? And they found me a room in all the Maryland tracks where I could call races into a microphone for practice. And... One day, the general manager of the track at Pimlico was walking up there and heard me and said, hey, I think you're ready. You want to start calling one race a day. And that's how, what how, how old are you at this point? 18. Oh, really? Yeah. So this was it. This wasn't like you're 24. Hey, let me jump into this. No, I, I was a kid. I had just graduated from high school. I had started practicing calling races before I was out of high school. And uh, as it turned out, I, you know, I, I just had a, had a knack for it. And... Uh, they said, hey, let's do this, and, and you can call one a day and uh, and go from there, and that's what I did, and it's worked out really well. Now, let's fast forward a little bit to the yeah. creme de la creme. I'm a Kentucky basketball fan, so I know what the Kentucky Derby is. How do you even, one, get noticed? Like like I said, in sports, it's easy to get noticed. You're dropping 30 points a game. You're doing this. How do you get noticed as a announcer, basically, calling races to get noticed and then even to get recognized to get a big-time call? Well, that that story is is a pretty wild one. Um, so at the time, you know, you you start as a as an assistant announcer as I did in Maryland. And I was eighteen years old, and then you sort of you work your way up the food chain, different 
tracks hire you and you you kind of move up i i called in birmingham alabama then i was in northern california then i was in boston and in new jersey at monmouth park and i had gotten a, a pretty good job at gulfstream park in florida and i was calling the races there and so this was 2011 and it was an, an april afternoon i remember it very very well okay. uh because uh, apparently what had happened was Unbeknownst to me or anyone else, Tom Durkin, who was the voice of New York Racing and the Triple Crown for NBC, had decided to step down from his NBC job. Now, no one knew this. It was not public. And so I was in the announcer's booth at Gulfstream Park, and the phone rang. And it was a 212 number. Like, man, this is New York. I wonder what this is. So, in fact, I remember the number exactly, 212-444-4444. Okay. Like, what's this? So I picked up the phone, and the guy on the other side of the the line said, Larry, my name is Fred Gidelli, and I am the producer for the Triple Crown on NBC Sports. Uh, we want to talk to you about calling the Triple Crown races. And so the first thing that came to my mind was, what friend of mine is playing a joke <laughs> on me? I can't believe anybody would be that cruel to play a joke on me like this. So I just thought for a second, and I said, well, as far as I know, that's Tom Durkin's gig, which was kind of the right thing to say, I guess. But he could tell that I was, you know, didn't really believe what was going on here. And he goes, well, Tom is stepping down. Uh, it's not public yet, but we, uh, we're happy with your work. We've heard your work, uh, and we want to meet you, and we'd like you to come up to uh, 30 Rock and uh, and meet with everybody and discuss this. So I had to wait four days, four or five days until I could um, fly up there because it was working. Okay. So I flew up there on a on a, uh, a dark day, as they call it in racing, where we're not running in Florida. Um, spent the night in Manhattan. Next morning, I go to 30 Rock, and it was uh, an interesting experience. So I, I, I get to meet the guy who's the producer for the show, who was also the producer for Sunday Night Football, Fred Gidelli. That's the guy that called me. And the executive producer for NBC Sports, Sam Flood, and then Rob Hyland, who's now our producer, the three of them and I had lunch. And then afterwards, I would go back to Fred's office, and I'm getting ready to, uh, to get arrangements to get a car to go back to LaGuardia to fly back to Florida. And uh, in walks the chairman of NBC Sports, Dick Ebersol. <laughs> So he walks into the office, and again, Fred produces Sunday Night Football as well as the Triple Crown. And so the Sunday Night Football schedule had just come out. And so they start talking about football. You know, this is a football schedule. I can't believe we have this game. we got this one. This is going to be great. Uh, and then Fred goes, oh, Dick, this is Larry. We're talking to him about replacing Durkin for the Triple Crown. Oh, okay. Now what about this game uh, in week just eight? Just completely blew you off. Blew, blew me off, right? So... I'm like, all right, well, whatever. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be here. So he, he starts walking out the door, and he turns around. And he goes, oh, hey, Larry. I said, yes. He goes, do you believe us now? Oh, really? And, and it was all like a setup, right? So, <laughs> And I, I'm like, yes, I do. So that night, I'm, I'm back in Florida, and my buddy picks me up at the airport. We go to a restaurant. And uh, Dos Caminos in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, and I said, get a seat at the bar. I just got to go to the bathroom. So I'm in the bathroom taking care of, uh, you know, number one. <laughs> and when 
212-444-4444 comes up on my cell phone. Not a prank this time. Not a prank this time. And it's Fred Gadelli saying, we want to welcome you to NBC Sports. And I finished what I had to do. (laughs) I walked outside, and I screamed at the top of my lungs because this was the biggest possible thing that could happen to a, a kid who just wanted to call horse races as an 18-year-old, and now here you are, you know, decades later, and you, you hit the one at age, at age 45, I was at the time, the one thing that you would dream about doing. The center of the horse racing universe calling, is you now. Calling the Triple Crown, and I found out, and I, then it didn't dawn on me until the next day that I only had about two weeks to prepare to call the Kentucky Derby. I was just going to say, first Saturday in May, you're in Dos Caminos, it's in April. April, mid-April. And now, how nervous? Well, you've called a million races, and I'm up here. I watch you just, you know, you just made a few announcements. You're calm, cool, collected. How nervous were you at the Kentucky Derby? Oh, uh, you can't even imagine how nervous. I mean, it, it and, you know, the, the thing is, when you when the, the actual race starts, the, the worst part is the lead up. You know, can I get a night's sleep? And it was the first time I I ever took Ambien before, and I now I have to take it before each Triple Crown race, you know, because you're just... Everything's going through your mind. You know, you, you prepare, you study, you, you learn what you need to learn, and then you hope it all comes out the way you want it to come out. And when, when the moment itself is happening, when the, the race is actually running, you go into your, your own zone where it's like a normal thing. You know, you're, you're calling the race. And I remember calling the derby, and they're going around the turn in the first derby I called. And I was like, thinking to myself okay you know my binoculars are steady i've got this everything is good and then i realized that my legs were jello <laughs> absolutely and the next thought is don't fall down okay i mean i was i was so good from the waist up but my all the stress and the nerves went right down to my legs and i was shaking like a leaf and they hit the wire and i Animal Kingdom won the Kentucky Derby. I finished the call. I knew I knew I had everything the way I wanted it to be, considering it was the first time. And I just broke down and bawled like you wouldn't believe. Did you really? Oh yeah. It was it was just I mean, it was just an experience, you know. I just called the freaking Kentucky Derby. Two questions about the Derby for yeah. you that I'm not we're up here in a booth alone. Right. Are you in a lo- are you alone in the Derby booth also? One other person um, is with me, uh, and it is the my audio person for NBC, a uh, lady named Sarah Lee, who does way more than that for me. She's just so fantastic, and and uh, you know she she had never worked with me before. Now we we've, we've you know done the Triple Crown for eight years, and and uh, so she knows all my little intricacies, all the things I need, and she's on top of everything, and it's it's great. When they're singing "My Old Kentucky Home." Yeah. Uh, now you're silent. Now are you just thinking a million things going through your head? Okay, so when it when it first happened, my first, I guess four derbies, I could not listen to my old Kentucky home, and the reason for that was that as a kid who grew up loving horse racing, it gave me chills when weep, I heard my no more my lady no more oh. my lady, uh, you know the, the whole thing just it would give me chills, and. Because you knew the Kentucky Derby was coming, it's the race. Now, I got to call this race, right? So, 
I'm not listening to my old Kentucky home. I took those headsets off, and I am I am repeating these horses' names over and over. Horse jockey, horse jockey, horse jockey. Just getting them into my head, and until that song was over, and I heard the crowd roar at the end of old my old Kentucky home, and I'm like, Shoo. didn't listen to a word of it. But now I do. Now I can. You listen. appreciate it now. I I can do it. I I'm. I doesn't bother me. Uh, it, it pumps me up. It gets me excited. But it doesn't like blow me away, which I was worried about before. So it's um, it's pretty cool. The Derby's like the Super Bowl, and you're going in there, and it's one of the hardest races to call. There's 19 or 20 horses right. in under two minutes. What and you just mentioned it, uh, horse jockey, horse jockey. What preparation do you do? Because you don't just call one race; you call a bunch of races. You do. You know, I, I call for NBC on Derby Day. I probably call four or five races that day, and you don't do a whole lot of preparation for the other races. But for the Kentucky Derby, uh, the preparation starts in February. You know, I start watching prep races from all the horses around the country and just kind of get a feel for them, get them in your head. And um, what, when we get closer, what I'll start doing is I'll get them to send me the jockey silks, which is what I use to identify the horses. It's the, the one thing that's the easiest to separate one horse from another, the colors that the jockeys wear, the colors of the owner of the horse. They'll send me those, and I will start uh, preparing by making uh, flashcards and just saying the names, just randomly mixing up the flashcards. That's this one. You know, that's Justify. That's Free Drop Billy. That, you know, just get them in my head, and, and then once I know who the jockeys are going to be, get them in my head too. And by the time they're on the track for the first Saturday in May, you know exactly who they all are. You know their trainer, their jockey, their running style. You know what color blinkers the horse wears. Uh, you know, so much more than you would for a normal race because you have to because there's 20 of them. And what if it rains, which it seems like well, it always does. I was going to ask you, we have ideal conditions right now. Right. We can see miles. This year's derby was one of the worst. Like, how would you do this year's derby? It was it was very rainy. The Preakness was worse. That was the fog, yeah. <laughs> you know. But uh, it was super rainy. But you know what? It, it wasn't too bad. So I was able to... Uh, was able to identify them now a few minutes before the you know the race before the derby you could hardly see anything so we we did have some terrible weather for the derby and preakness this year and kind of made up for it at the belmont but uh yeah you just you de- you deal with everything and just be as completely prepared as you can no way i was going to be prepared for that fog at pimlico but what happened was i ended up having two monitors in front of me which i don't normally have they they put two monitors in front of me early in the week for the preakness because they put up these new tents in the infield that block my view in certain spots. And so I'm like, I'm going to need to be able to access the monitor when they get behind those tents. Well, little did I know that I was going to need to call 90% of the Preakness off those monitors because of the fog. Uh, And it it turned out to be a a lifesaver and uh, was able to do it without any problem. Derek Jeter said at the end, he wishes he appreciated the moments more. We're going to get to the end of like the moments you've had because you just, you just had two legendary ones. Are you appreciating the moment and how lucky you are? Do you realize it d- w- during it? Or I think so. Okay. You know, I don't think you you really. I I bet years later I'll think back and I'm like, man, I wish I I would have, you know, spent more time doing whatever. Because Derby Week, I'm I'm in either a a Kentucky Derby meeting with the NBC people or I'm working. And, yeah, we, you go out to dinner and you hang out, but I never go to the barns in the morning and see the horses and that kind of stuff. And maybe down the road I'll think, oh, I wish I, wish I would have. 
but I, I've been able to enjoy uh, some great moments. Uh, you know, the, the American Pharaoh uh, Triple Crown. Um, I never had a chance during the Triple Crown to meet American Pharaoh. So I asked Bob Baffert, who is so gracious and such a great guy, I, the horse was coming to the Travers at Saratoga. And I said, can I meet him? I've never met him before. And he said, sure. He said, we're going to have a, a uh, public workout for him the day before. We're going to have him gallop around the track and afterwards come to the barn. And I got a call that like two days later from a guy who's a security guy here at, at Naira and said, are you coming to the barn after, uh, you know, he, he does his his uh, exercise before the the day before the Travers. I said, yeah, why? He says, okay, I'm just making sure. He says, because Bob told me that you're the only one that's allowed to come to the barn. Really? And because they had all these barricades up and everything. I'm like, okay, fine. So I take a golf cart there and I go under the barricade. The guard sees me and, and signals and Bob says, oh, you're here. Come on in. <laughs> so American Pharaoh's walking around the, the shed row. They're not the shed row, but the, the, the area between the barns, there's like a, there's like a little circular path, and they're cooling him out after his, his workout. And American Pharaoh, unlike a lot of horses, has got the personality of like a golden retriever. You know, he, <laughs> nothing bothers him. He loves people. And so, so I'm not a horse guy. I've, I don't work with horses. So Bob Baffert says, okay, it's picture time. And he brings American Pharaoh over to me and hands me his lead and walks away. So I am, and he takes my cell phone. And so starts you're there taking, with triple crown I am horse. holding the triple oh crown winner God. by his lead. He looks at me like, hey, who are you? And I'm like, I'm the happiest guy in the world right now. <laughs> and and he, he's like, just the horse is just looking at me like like it's nothing. And, you know, it's like, ah, some guy hanging out with me. And, and I'm like, this is unbelievable. I'm holding the triple crown winner. And so... Photographers are taking pictures. We we did this for like I don't know ten minutes, and and then like off off he went and back to the stall, and I, I mean it was just incredible. So I I have you know and, and moments like that are something you'll never forget, and I'm and I'm now starting to realize like I need more keepsakes and memorabilia. And I showed you before our, our uh, broadcast or our our uh, podcast here about uh, getting my Belmont Park program signed by Mike Smith, who's here today. You know, and I'm trying to, you know, get more stuff. It's like, you know, appreciate it. Appreciate the moments that you've had a chance to call because, you know, it's not going to last forever. So now I know you as the voice of the Triple Crown. Like, I heard your voice. I'm like, holy crap, that's him. A lot of people know you because my wife knows everything. <laughs> that, that race that go, that's gone viral, and I'll play that clip. Into the final furlong. My wife knows everything. The wife doesn't know. They're one, two. Of course they are. My wife knows everything in front. To the outside, the wife doesn't know. My wife knows everything. The wife doesn't know. My wife knows everything. More than the wife doesn't know. When you're younger and you want to call a girl, you like write down what you want her to say to her. Hi, Julia. <laughs> I'm, do you prepare? Because your American Pharaoh call to me meant so much. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm a diehard sports fan. When I mean it's my life. This is, I always tell the story in the podcast. My, I was married, and she left me because of sports. Sports is like <laughs> – so I've never seen a Triple Crown winner. Every year we'd have parties, and I would, I would be so disappointed. Even if I won the pool or I won – you calling American Pharaoh to me was like this is one of the things on my checklist. I've seen almost everything. I've seen my team win Super Bowls, championships. 
the Yankees win the World Series. I know you're a big Red Sox guy. <laughs> Do you prepare what you're going to say beforehand? You have to, uh, I, in some way. But you, it, it, it's it's one of those things where, yeah, preparation is the word, not scripted. You you have to have ideas for big moments like that. I think that's the best way to describe it. And and the guy that I, I'll I'll never forget we're. The week of that Belmont, a couple of people are like, are you just going to wing this thing? Are you just going to, you know, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't think so. I think I've got to come up with what's the right thing. And No, I'm sorry, Larry. Was that your first race that, they got, that the horse could have won the Triple Crown? Actually, there was the second. I had a chance for NBC. It was my first here in New- as the track announcer. Uh, but for NBC only, I called California Chrome's bid oh. the year before, uh, which never of materialized. Course, yeah. And I did think of stuff for that one. But for some reason, I think we... I don't know. There was just this thought that this was really going to happen this year with American Pharaoh, and Tom Hammond, who is the the you know one of my heroes uh, and a great friend for NBC Sports, he sat down with me. He says, he goes, Larry, if you're going to call a moment of history, you better come up with the right thing to say. And I said, Tom, I you know, I, I I think you're right. He goes, No, I am right. <laughs> you know, and and so I I. I started to think, okay, what, what's everybody thinking? All right, this, if this is going to happen, what's everybody thinking? The 37-year wait is over. This is finally the one. And that's what I said. Because you kept it simple. Yeah, I wanted to keep it simple. You don't want to sound like something that's, first of all, too difficult to say. Because then you're stumbling over your words. Right. And you don't want to sound like it's scripted. And so make it easy. Make it, you know, something that, that fits the moment, and I hope that I did. I mean, I, you know, I was able to th- other things like you know makes his run for glory, and and you know all all that was just, you know that that sort of just came out, but it was something I thought of during the week too. You know, you you don't you're not reading this, you're just like you have it in your head, and and hope that it all comes out. And I got to thank the horse because he won f- so easily. That he, you know, it wasn't a close finish, and I was able to say that, and then, you know, justify three years later does it again. Well, that's what I was going to say. I love, there's nights I lay down in bed with my iPad, and I just put up greatest sports calls. Like, do you believe in miracles? Uh, right. I don't believe what I just saw. This year's, he's just perfect, and now we, it was, like, chilling. And I tweeted it when it happened. You liked it, and the reaction people had this year for your call was just a special, special thing. Well, you know, it it was different than Pharaoh, and you know, people were people would tweet to me like, you know, this is what you should say. The, th- <laughs> the three year wait is over. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, the 36 month wait is over. Sure, no, dude, this is different. This is not 37 years. This is three years, and this is this is a different situation too. It's an undefeated horse. You know what what fits what fits here? And I started at the Derby. When I got the just idea to play the play off the horse's name, where I said he's just awesome, you know, and so I was thinking of doing that in the Preakness, but the fog screwed me up so much that I never got a chance to. Oh, so uh, I said he's unstoppable. I was going to say just unstoppable, but I, I never came out that way. But for the for the the Belmont, I'm like, all right, well, let's stick with just. Let's stick with it. He's just perfect. And I'm thinking, but if he wins, he's just immortal. Oh. He's the triple crown winner. So I'm like, let's go for both. And it just, uh, 
it just came out uh, the way I was hoping it would, you know, would, and it just. So you, you went know. in there with the idea of just perfect, just immortal, like that was. Yeah, and, and then you know, but don't, you know, just like I said, not scripted, but that's the thought, and the moment itself will let you say it the right way. It's like you know, you can you can look at it uh, in a, a week ahead of time and say just perfect, just immortal, but when the actual thing is happening, you know, it's like, you know, and I get accused of get going over the top sometimes, but, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, the freaking triple, triple crown. And I'm sorry, but it, it is, it, if you don't get excited for that, man, you're not going to get excited for anything. I'll tell you, as like an announcing nerd, when you said he's just perfect, pause, you hear the crowd, and now he's just, it was like perfect. It was like that you edited it to be perfect. Well, it just, you know, it came out that way, and again, the horse won by enough where I was able to, and because all week you're thinking, just don't be a photo, just don't be close, you know. Just if you're gonna win, just win, and he did. Well, that's the worst when John Sterling calls a home run and he waits. Is it home run replay? And then he goes into his his shtick. You don't want that. Yeah, I mean, it's everybody's got a got their own way of doing stuff. So it's it's you know it's uh, there's a fine line between scripted and prepared, you know, and I I just. I just hope that uh, I, I hit hit the note the right way. You know you did. A couple of quick questions. Do you like having the photo, like the video in the booth? Because you go on YouTube, NBC, you can watch you call the race and then the race also. Do you like that? I think it's kind of cool. Originally, I, did, I thought it was like, who in the world would want to watch that? And then you see the views on YouTube. Everyone yeah. wants to see that. I had no idea I'd do the fist pump thing, which has become yes, uh, yes. everybody got into <laughs> that. I had no clue. Uh I do remember after Farrow won the the Belmont, uh, I had three cameras in here, uh, and I knew where they where they were and how far they could get, and I needed to get away because when he won the Belmont, it's like, oh my God, I just called the first Triple Crown winner in thirty seven years, and I remember the. Uh, What's the what's your uh, your viewership as far as what language you're able to? Oh, you can uh, say whatever you want. I can, yeah, okay. of course. So, Victor Espinosa, after the race, the NBC microphones picked him up, saying, "Holy shit!" Yeah, right. So, I said a little worse, <laughs> but well, <laughs> off the mic, it did start with "holy" and the nef- next word started with an "f," <laughs> and I and I remember just like that's the first thing I said after I turned off the mic. And then I ran exactly where you're sitting right now. I ran into that corner because the cameras couldn't quite, and I just lost it, absolutely lost it. And then I remember seeing the shot of me just barreling out of the corner and just banging on the glass <laughs> in the window. Like a fan. Yeah. And that's why I loved him. Like, you're a fan first. Like, Of course. Of course you are. I mean, I've been doing this, and I've been watching horse races since I was a little kid, calling since I was 18. I never saw a triple crown before. Then I got to call one. Are you kidding me? Oh, you never saw one either. Then no, I, I, I wasn't a fan when I was. You know, I would when affirmed one. I was eleven, so it meant I nothing. It meant nothing yes. to me yet. I wasn't into it yet. That was the first one I, you know, I truly saw, and I, I may have seen affirmed, but I didn't really care. Mm-hmm. But at the time, now I, I wish I was there. But um, it, it just was like, oh my god, it just freaking happened, and I got. I got to be the lucky guy to to do it. It's not so you called it from this booth, and there's just ca- cameras. How cool yeah. is that? Yeah, it was from this booth. So, um, 
you know, and, and the guy before me, Tom Durkin, you know, total legend, called races in New York for 24 years from this booth and never called one Triple Crown. You know, and, and I, I remember watching the video of him calling California Chrome's Belmont, and he uh, ended the call with, the Triple Crown remains a 36-year memory. Oh. Took, his, took his headphones and threw them on the floor. And realized that was his last Belmont. He knew. Probably he knew. knew he was done. Yeah. And then, uh, and then here's this little lucky kid from, you know, who grew up in Maryland who, who stepped into here the next year. And it's flat out euphoria. You know, I, you almost feel bad about it, you know? It's like Mattingly. When Mattingly retires, Tina Martinez jumps in and wins, a, wins World, the World Series. Yeah, Mattingly never won one. That's right. It's that crazy. Is, you know, it's actually amazing to be in here now and and seeing yeah, it. Yeah, this is it. It's it's not the prettiest room in the world, but it gets the job done. You know, realize, you know, you, you think... History was right here, yeah. Unbelievable. Now, when I started doing the podcast, it was like a joke. I just had Dick Vitale on recently. Wow. When I hung up, I'm like, Mom, I just interviewed Dick Vitale. Who's your Who's your first call? You just called the Triple Crown. You know everyone's listening. And e- even though you know millions, literally millions are listening to your voice, right. who's that first call to be like, do you believe I just did that? Yeah, I know. So I think it was my sister. You know, I, ca- I called her. and uh, But, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people came right up afterwards. You know, I, I remember the, the, one of the guys that used to work here in New York, Jason Blewett, he was the first one to come into the booth. And then uh, a couple of really good friends of mine showed up. And, and then it, it got to be funny because I had like four or five people in here and the next race was coming up. I'm like, you know, I got to call this race, you know. And, and here's this, you know, here's this race that, you know, it's, I think I was talking to Bob Costas about it. He said, he said, it's like Joe Buck calling the World Series and then a half an hour later calling batting practice. <laughs> <laughs> People always forget there's always one last race. Yeah, the there were two actually, and the, <laughs> but now so this year I let John Embrial, who's our our you know our second <laughs> our second guy, who's a great guy and a terrific announcer, he called the races after me after the Belmont because I I couldn't I couldn't deal with it. I I went back and and enjoyed myself. In history, if you can call one race, is it the Secretariat race here or no? Would that th- be boring? I think, think so. Yeah. I I because it was such a such an epic moment, but I could never. I could never outdo. I don't think what Chick Anderson did, who who called that race for CBS, and and it was a fabulous call. Secretariat is moving like a tremendous machine, uh, and it just it, I I can't. I would just like to have been there. You know, not necessarily called it, but just been there to see it. That's one of the most iconic photos in any sport when the jockey turns around and, and there's it, nobody there. Nobody there. Yeah, that's I love that. That's one of the most. You look at that and you're like, wow, imagine just watching that race. The greatest horse is, he's considered the greatest horse ever. Who's the greatest horse you've ever seen? The greatest horse I've ever seen in person? Uh, man, there have been, there've been some really, really, I mean, American Pharaoh is, is one of them. I had a chance for years when I was calling in Boston at Suffolk. I called the great Cigar, uh, who won 16 in a row. I mm-hmm. called two of those in the Massachusetts Handicap. Uh, and another one that that I just absolutely loved. One of my personal favorites was Holy Bull. I don't, uh, I don't. Holy Bull was, he was 1994, and he never, he actually was the favorite in the Kentucky Derby that year, never ran a jump. He, he was an off track. He didn't run well. But then he just absolutely smashed everybody for the next year. And uh, he was stabled right at Monmouth Park where I worked. It was my first Haskell I ever called. So I had a chance to, to call Holy Bull winning the Haskell and then go to the different, 
races. He won the the Travers. Uh, he won the Woodward. He you know he won all, the Met Mile. All these great races, and had a chance to follow him and see him win them. And, and he, he was awesome. I loved him. I loved Holy Bull. Uh, so Holy Bull and Cigar, who ended up running against each other, and then um, and then we you know I, obviously years later uh, you know I've, so many good ones, but Pharaoh for sure. I think Justify is right at the top of that list. Uh, you know and and uh, Arrowgate a couple years ago. I think he's one of the best horses I've ever called. Uh, at the peak of his game when he, when he won the Travers, uh, it was f- fantastic. Now, what can horse racing do? Horse racing seems to take over the first Saturday in May, a few weeks later, a few weeks later, and then after that, it kind of dies out. Is there anything horse racing can do to be back in the mainstream? It can never be like it was, like back in, My grandfather would always talk about, oh, in the 50s, or 60s, in the 70s. Can it ever do anything to get back in the... I don't know. I I think I, I, the the game is, is it's changed. Um, back then, you... You had to go to the track to bet on the races. You know now, you're uh, you know you can bet by your on your phone without even seeing the race. Without even yeah. seeing the race, and it's and that's why you know you you see the attendances drop at tracks, and then like newspapers cover it less because they think people don't care because nobody's at the track. But people still care. They're just not at the track. Mm-hmm. They're they're watching at home or they're watching at a simulcast facility. I think there's still a lot of interest out there, but I, I think big events is what you need, and people love events, and you know nothing's bigger than the Triple Crown, but after the Triple Crown, the next real thing is Saratoga, mm-hmm. and I mean, if you've ever been, we were just talking know, about it, you know, and if you've if you've never been, go it. So that's the place where you do want to go to the track. It is unfreaking believable how great that place is, how it's packed with people on a freaking Monday. And the town itself. The it's town itself is awesome. So many bars and restaurants. Um, it's just, it's six weeks of heaven. It really is. And, you know, if it, you can only come up a couple times, do it. You know, I, I was telling you this story before um, I went on with you the, about when I was calling it Monmouth. I could only go to Saratoga on a Monday. It'd be the <laughs> only day I could ever go. And I'd go to the races and go out to dinner afterwards. And the next day, I'd walk down Broadway, um, you know, to get a cup of coffee and something to eat and just kind of take in the sights of the... And in my head, it was like, you know what? Maybe one day. Maybe one day I could be the guy that calls here. And I, I am. And it's so cool. Uh, getting there... And and what I'd like to do is I after I announce the program changes, I'll walk all the way around the place, the backyard, and soak it and, in and soak it in every day. And I run into the same people. I run into new people. And you can walk around Belmont Park, and no one, no one knows me. No one recognizes me. You walk around Saratoga, and so many people do. It's just so different. And I love it. I love the atmosphere and talking to people. And everybody's happy. Everybody's smiling. And, well, it's uh, a great place to live and a great place to be in the so, summertime. It's amazing. So, I mean, so that's what I, I think if people, you know, if, if racing can sell Saratoga and Del Mar, which is another fantastic mm-hmm. spot on the West Coast, um, I think that that's, that's really cool because people love that Keeneland is another one of those Down places. Down in Kentucky, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, then you get to the Breeders' Cup, and that's a, that's a huge event. And uh, now they've got that Pegasus race in, at Gulfstream in, in late January. So I think you need more events that, 
and I wish these horses ran more and stayed around longer. I mean, the the jockeys and the trainers are the stars because the same ones come back every mm-hmm. year. The horses are new. You know, the Triple Crowns, you can only run in it once. And, you know, you, you just want those horses to keep running. I can't wait to see where Justify goes next because that place is going to be filled with people that want to see him. Well, I know we're going to wrap it up. I've, I've taken you time a ton. I have two more questions for you. I talk a lot. <laughs> That's good. I want you to keep yeah. talking. One question I want to ask is, you just nailed it. I always felt boxing, not that it's dying, but a guy fights once a year. So you're like, great fight. Oh, now we have to wait 11 months. And the horse is kind of the same. Justify, he's, he might race once or twice more. I know the value. It's all about money. But I wish they would race more. You would appreciate that so much. And more people can see, like, hey, I just saw Justify. Because I know if he races again, I'm going to go see him wherever he goes. Absolutely. And, and that's just that's the way the, the sport has changed in that horses take so much time between races that never happened you know way back when they they would you look at the past performances of these horses and they'd run you know 15 20 times a year and now you know a high quality horse is going to run you know six to eight and it's tough i mean it's tough to keep people's interest when all of a sudden that horse disappears and and that's a whole new breed of horses yeah you know and and so uh but justify is such a you know so different and that he he didn't even appear on the scene until February. You know, he he never ran as a two-year-old. He he just showed up in some maiden race at Santa Anita in February, and and all of a sudden, three months later, he wins the Triple Crown. It's it's unheard of. It's never happened before that a horse has, has you know, won the Triple Crown without racing as a two-year-old horse, and uh, and only two horses have won the Triple Crown undefeated. Him in Seattle Slough. So it's he is a rarity. Have you met him yet? I have not, um, and again, that's that's something I, I want to do. Although his personality is quite different. Oh, really? <laughs> from what I'm told, I, I like a mercenary, right? He's, he's he's there to do a job. I, I love the way that Bob Baffert described him. He says that he he has no use for people. <laughs> <laughs> the only use for people are are give me a carrot. You know, and you could you could see that he's got this expression on his face, like, okay, where's the carrot? All right, I got the carrot. <laughs> now, get away from me. <laughs> I ask this to everybody who comes on my show. You and I are at a bar. You and I are at Dos Caminos having a beer. Who's the coolest person in your phone that if you texted them, they would text you right back? The coolest person in my phone? Um, well, I, w- I, will say <laughs> I will say that I, at the end of the night after the Belmont, I drunk texted Bob Baffert. <laughs> And about one in the morning, I got a text back. <laughs> so, I guess I guess Bob wins as as far as that goes. The, the text back is huge. I, I can drunk text everybody. I drunk text Pete Rose. I me and Pete Rose exchanged one. I text him all the time. He doesn't write back. But Bob Baffert wrote back after a drunk text. That's great. What'd you yeah. write to him? What'd you write to him? I had said, Bob, you know, congratulations. <laughs> it couldn't happen to a better guy. I'm so happy for you. And uh, and uh, it was like. Half an hour later, I was getting ready to go to bed, and I just see, awesome call. And uh, so it was like, okay. And the last thing, you you mentioned it briefly, but uh, memorabilia. You just got an awesome piece. Yep. What else do you have, and what else do you want? Because, like, some people, like, I'm not a memorabilia guy, but I'll take in the moment. Like, oh, my God, I want this because I was here. I was at the Kentucky Championship. Let me get the ticket. So you got the program signed. You're going to get it signed by Bafford. Right, I you know, and I I've been really bad about it. I'm, like I I didn't get hardly anything for Pharaoh, but I do have the American Pharaoh program, so I can still get 
uh, Bob Baffert and, and Victor Espinosa. I want them to, to sign that and then get Bob to sign this one that Mike Smith just signed for me and get them framed. And I've kept every credential uh, that I've had for all of my Triple Crown calls and Breeders' Cup calls. You tweeted that picture. Yeah. That, that was cool. So I've got them all. And um, so I, I want to get them framed as you know some sort of memento of of all those years of of calling these races and um you know it's i, I think it's important and it, it it didn't dawn on me until like this year i didn't get into it until this year and and our track photographer made me some great photos of of american pharaoh and justify and i took a picture which you've i also tweeted out of uh, going into the infield and standing yeah. between the two signs american pharaoh and justify and holding up two uh fingers and uh, I got that frame too. So uh, you know, it's uh, you really want to appreciate all the all these things. And, and as we talked about before, I you know I think now that I'm a little bit older, I'm 51 now. I'm appreciating them more than ever. And you know, I, I think I'll become more of a memorabilia collector. I might have to get a bigger place now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should get a place in Saratoga. Why not? Uh, I you know what I was thinking. I was spending last night. Looking on Realtor.com at Saratoga places, and I'm like, how are these places this expensive? <laughs> they, stay, stay at Bob's house. I bet you Bob, you can drunk text Bob. That You know what you should do? Get drunk. Text Bob. Bob, can I crash there? He'll do it. <laughs> I actually have a, rig, a great rental at Saratoga where I – but it's it's so expensive that places have, like, doubled in price over the last few years. So, But uh, I, eventually I'm going to have to break down and, and do it because uh, I, I think uh, – you know, think about – the later years after you retire, a lot of the guys, including Tom Durkin and his predecessor Marshall Cassidy before him, they live in Saratoga now. They move there and year round. Well, he, uh, Tom goes to um, to Florida in the winter, but he does he does live in Saratoga, and that's what I would do. I think I would end up. I live at the Jersey Shore right now, which I love. But I think when I retire, I I could see myself living in Saratoga. I'm looking at your face. You're glowing. You're smiling. Retirement's not coming soon. You no, have a, yeah, no okay, time good, soon. Good, good, good. I'm 51. I, you know, I'd, I'd like to do this m- at least 10 more years. Do you get? Uh, do a lot of people reach out to you like, hey, I'm an, I want to call races, or do you see it not as maybe not as popular? Do a lot of people reach out to you? Yeah, it it happens now and again. You know, uh, you you get some some people that that uh, usually on social media they'll send me a a tweet or whatever, you know, and, and I try to help as many people as I can. You know, there've been like guys that one of the guys that years ago, um, said, Hey, I, I've got this, this tape. I've, I've been practicing calling races can, you know, uh, I'm looking for a place to call. And it was Travis stone. Who's now the track announcer yeah. Churchill downs. And I said, Hey, I'm, I'm the announcer at Suffolk downs. Why don't you come call a race? Uh, you're, you're good. You know? So we put him on the mic and he called his first race at Suffolk downs and, uh, and as I stood right next to him when he did it, and then uh, you know here he is now replacing me as the announcer at Churchill Downs, and he did it at Monmouth Park as well. So uh, it's it's good to see uh, people that you know you, you kind of helped get started do really well, you know, and and hopefully as I I get older there'll be more of those. Well, listen, this was an absolute pleasure to me, to have you on and just talk to you and just like just kick it with you it was like yeah so it was cool. fun yeah I, I had a blast I had a, I had a good time too it was a lot of fun I I enjoyed the uh, you know, just the the little back and forth and and having a good time, and uh, hopefully you uh, enjoy this uh, lavish announcers booth at Belmont Park. Well, no one knows that it's not lavish. If you just saw the from where you stand, this is lavish. Then you look at the back; there's wires hanging down and everything. They actually put up bunting for Belmont Stakes Day. On you know, oh, to look, make it look nice. Yeah, it looked like Yankee <laughs> Stadium in here. Right? <laughs>
<laughs> <laughs> All right, a pleasure, man. Absolutely. My Thank pleasure. You.